Welcome into the Locked On Bengals podcast on a Friday. Great to be with you. I'm James Erpine. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, you can follow on Twitter at James Erpine at Locked On Bengals. Subscribe, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, the iHeartRadio app, and wherever you get your podcast. Every podcast posted at LockedOnBengals.com. Exclusive content there, including columns from our writers. Plenty of videos, including a Bengals-themed Friends intro video, which uh, is certainly worth your time. Right now at LockedOnBengals.com. If you missed yesterday's conversation with Joe Goodberry of The Athletic, I suggest you go back and listen to that one. Dave Lapham coming up in uh, two minutes here on the Locked On Bengals podcast. But real quick, I, I just wanted to give a few thoughts on yesterday's game. It sucks that guys were getting injured. Trayvon Anderson. That stinks. He gets a great interception. He's trying to prove himself and at least make the practice squad, and he injures his knee. I haven't seen how bad it was as of 2 o'clock Eastern time um, in Cincinnati. I haven't seen anything on how significant that injury was. Haven't seen anything on Matt Barkley either. Injured his knee. That stinks too. Look, say what you want about Matt Barkley. I wanted his play to do the talking one way or the other. I didn't want him to not make this team because of injury. And it looks like that could potentially happen. Seathan Carter walked off with his arm hanging. We'll see uh, what the the diagnosis is there. But the, the overall takeaway from yesterday, and, and really over the past six, six and a half months, um, despite the 27-26 loss, despite the, you know, the fact that Jared Murphy had to play safety at the end of the game, and, and it was just basically an injury prevention measure by Marvin Lewis. By the way, shout out to Jared Murphy, who played on offense and defense. I mean, that's that's awesome. We talked with him on the podcast a, a few weeks ago, and he was really awesome and, and nice and, and was willing to, to sit down and talk with me in the Bengals locker room. But the thing that stands out the most to me about this offseason, this preseason, uh, during training camp, the past six months of the Bengals and, and what they've done, it's gone about as well as possible. From the free agent ad- uh, additions, like a good locker room guy, Preston Brown, a guy who can contribute on the field like Preston Brown, um, a left tackle like Cordy Glenn. In the draft, they got two starters in the first two rounds. How long have you as a fan wanted the Bengals to play their younger players earlier? Well, now they are at safety and center. To me, things are going about as well as they could go. And, and so I just I took a second this morning and I was thinking about it like, yeah, if you're a Bengals fan today, you got to be feeling good about it, especially because you're going under the radar. All these national outlets, 4-12, and 12, the Bengals, Marvin, Andy. They're going to be better than 4-12, and 12 people. I think they're going to be pretty good. I'm James Erpine. This is the Locked on Bengals podcast. I caught up with Dave Lapham earlier today on ESPN 1530 to talk about the offseason, to talk about me thinking the past six months have gone well, what he thinks about the Bengals, his concerns, and more. Here's my conversation with Dave Lapham. Dave Lapham is with us now. Lap. I appreciate the time, as always, man. How you doing? Hey, James. How you doing today, my man? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Lapa, I led the show just kind of reflecting on really the the day after Marvin was rehired, and obviously there were there were fans that were in an uproar when that happened. But since that day, after that, I can't really think of a move the Bengals have made that didn't make sense. <laughs> that I didn't agree with or understand why they did it, from trading for Cordy Glenn to drafting Billy Price to moving on from Iloka and playing Jesse Bates to, to extending Carlos Dunlap and, and Geno Atkins, it seems like 
they're in a really good spot. It was a really good offseason, and they had a healthy preseason, and the past six, seven months have gone really well for the Bengals and the organization. Yeah, I agree with you. Until last night's football game where they had three significant injuries, and yeah. and that's unfortunate. You know, I mean, all, all preseason long, uh, they've avoided that injury bug. And then last night, it looks like they lost Matt Barkley to a significant injury, but as you know, everybody thinks Jeff Driscoll had pretty much won that job anyway. You just feel sorry for Barkley, but Driscoll's performed very, very well. Um, but then you look at Seaton Carter, who I think had a real shot at, uh, at doing something with the football team. And in my mind, he separated his shoulders, just a degree of the separation. And then uh, Trayvon Henderson with the non-contact knee injury, his looks significant as well. So now they're you know have to, having to juggle the roster a little bit that they maybe not had, maybe would have not to have had to do that without those injuries. And how many going to put on IR? How many going to try to put on IR reserve? If you put any guys on injured uh, uh, recall, I should say injured reserve recall, they have to be on your 53-man roster. So now you have to, you know, cut somebody, terminate somebody, and bring them back. You know, and that's that's the interesting thing now, James. In the next uh, 48 hours, is what? How do they how do they handle these injuries and massage the roster? And you may see a veteran cut that's uh, got four more than four years experience, and he's terminated. He's not exposed to the waiver wire. He can't be claimed. He's terminated, um, and he can deal with anybody. He's a, he's a free agent. But, you know, other teams have done that, and they say to the player, we'll bring you right back at the same contract if you're okay with it. But we have to have this player make the 53-man roster. Then we're going to put him on IR recall, and we're going to bring you right back. So you're going to see a lot of that kind of stuff going on around the National Football League. You could be even here in Cincinnati. You might see – some players' names that are terminated, it's like, what? And then all of a sudden, a day later, they're back, and somebody is designated for IR recall. Uh, potentially, they can do it with two players bringing back at the halfway point. But I agree with you. They put themselves in great position. I think their roster is, is really good. Uh, again, talking to people who I trust around the league think that, um, you know, there a lot of guys are telling me, you know, our, our organization, we may have 38 players. You guys have 45 players out of your 56 that most of our coaches our coach say we want to have most of these players. So they've done a really good job, and they do a good job as well, you know, uh, getting practice squad players. They've had a history of developing guys in the practice squad that graduate to the 53-man roster and then the 46-man roster with specific uh, roles, be it special teams, sub-packages. Then he raised the poster child of that. So they've really used the practice squad as a developmental uh, area, you know, they signed, develop, and, and retain, and they just had a couple of guys hit third, third by the apple, you know, bringing Atkins and Carlos Dunlap back for another contract extension. So um, I, I think they they feel like their roster is in pretty good shape. And the true litmus test is when I talk to other people around the league, other people think their <laughs> roster is in pretty good shape potentially. Dave Lapham is with us here on ESPN fifteen thirty, and you mentioned the the cut down day, and obviously. That's a really tough day, and, and there's position battles. And one of the top position battles I think, I think of at this at this level with this team is the cornerback room. And, and I wonder who makes it, who doesn't. Do injuries play a factor? I know Tony McRae has been dinged up some. Uh, what do you think the odds are that they look elsewhere? I, I think back to the days of when they traded for Reggie Nelson uh, uh, this weekend. You know when they said, "All right, we're going to use." a position of strength, and upgrade the safety spot. I think they might add a couple players over the next couple of days that haven't been on the team throughout camp 
and uh, potentially a, a cornerback. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think there's a good possibility of that. Yeah, you know, I, I would think that with the good roster that they do have, there are people that are calling about some of their players. Um, you know, you would think that uh, if you could get, for example, uh, say a, a fourth, uh, you know, if you get a fourth cornerback for a Jake Fisher, would you make that trade? Mm, I think you would. Mm-hmm. Um, if you get a fifth cornerback for Jake Fisher, you, you probably still might. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, there's there's other there's probably players that we're not even realizing other teams around the league think has value that they would make a trade for. Now it might not be a player for player swap. It may be, all right, we'll, we'll give you, you know, this pick for this player. Then you contact another team that has, you know, uh, a surplus at a position, you know, you trade, you trade one of your players for whatever the, the pick may be, whatever round it is, you contact another team and say, all right, well, you're really heavy at the corner position. Can we grab, you know, one of your corners, your fourth or fifth corner, for this pick we just acquired, you know, and, and it becomes like a multiple team deal. And that's what the, the scouting fund has done a lot of this legwork well before this weekend because there's 1,100 players coming available here in the next, uh, you know, uh, 48 hours, 36 to 48 hours. And you try to uh, project who they might be. And it not, might not necessarily be, be those. It may be, you know, the the – 50th player of the 53-man roster that you might want to try to trade for. And, and in their mind, it's their 50, 50th player because they have four or five solid corners, and you've only got three, and you're trying to figure out who the fourth is. So all of that is definitely in play with not only the Bengals, every team in the league. I mean, it is, uh, I'll tell you what, uh, whatever phone service all these teams are using, they're, <laughs> it's going to be burned up. They're going to be, they're going to be calling each other. There's going to be conference calls and, in 24-hour calls, and it's going to be nuts. Dave, you mentioned the, the Matt Barkley injury, and obviously that was a, a big position battle throughout training camp and uh, in the preseason between Jeff Driscoll and Matt Barkley. How do you think the Bengals would feel about an Andy Dalton and Jeff Driscoll 1-2 quarterback room? Do you think that they would look at the waiver wire, potentially look into trades uh, to add a third guy, or do you think they would be content with those two? Yeah, I think they were thinking about going with two quarterbacks the whole time. Uh, now, I'm not sure they would necessarily, you know, trade for a quarterback. I, I don't think they'd look at that as, as a big a need as, as like the position you identified. I mean, honestly, you, you look after that third corner. I mean, you know, you feel pretty good about William Jackson, uh, Drake Kirkpatrick, Darquez Denard. Kavari Russell had a pretty good, you know, four, uh, four weeks of camp and then stunk to join out against Buffalo. And he had his ups and downs, you know, in this last football game mm-hmm. um, against the Indianapolis Colts last night. So, you know, you, I don't think they really feel that secure. Like you said, Tony McCray hasn't been able to be evaluated. Darius Phillips is a prospect. Uh, you know, you, you got to keep working with a kid like that. Uh, Devontae Harris is an IR recall candidate. C.J. Goodwin has been up and down. They, you know, they're, they're, <laughs> they're definitely not – as, as set as they've been on the back end. And uh, that's obviously a case for concern. You hope that the pass rush that they might have out of that eight or nine man rotation will help, you know, negate any issues on that, on that part, maybe um, appease some of the issues on the, on that back end. But uh, yeah, it's, it, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that they, they feel like they need to make any kind of a trade uh, to have that backup quarterback, particularly, you look at Andy Dalton, he's been remarkably healthy. No doubt. And you can't really count on that, you know, but Andy knows, Andy gets rid of the football, 
he he never puts himself in jeopardy for a, a freakish hit. It looks like. I mean, his his only injury is when he had to try to make a tackle, be a defensive player after a freakish uh, interception. It's the only time we've missed any missed any extended time. So, I, I think that uh, I'm not sure that they would necessarily try to go into the market as a as a big team for a quarterback trade. Dave Lapham is with us here on ESPN 1530. I'm James Erpine. Let's uh, let's discuss the offensive line because obviously that was the biggest question mark going into this year, and the, the first team offensive line still not really determined with that right side kind of unsettled. What do you think about the line today versus what you saw a year ago? Where, where is it better? Where is it the same? Where is it potentially worse? I do like the techniques that are being employed by the offensive line a hell of a lot better than I, you know, than I saw last <laughs> year and even, you know, even before that. And, you know, My whole mindset as a former player in that position is you can't win the line of scrimmage if you don't go capture it. So I, I, just, I, I was never a big fan of retreat and catch in pass protection. And I'm a Jim McNally you know, uh, guy that, from the belief standpoint is you, you're solid at the line of scrimmage, particularly the interior guys. The center and guard, you're responsible for forming the depth of the pocket. You can't form a deep pocket, give the quarterback a pocket that he's able to climb and, and give him vision before he climbs the pocket if you're retreating into his lap and catching. And there, I mean, the Bengals were bull rushed, I think, more than any team in the history of football. And if I were a defensive lineman, I'd bull rush too. Because if I've got a passive set, an offensive lineman that's going to give me an opportunity to get right in his chest and, and smack him and knock him backwards. You know, you have to be Superman to stand up to that time after time. And I, I just, you know, we've we talked about it multiple times. Pass protection is two things, time and space. And the techniques weren't given the space. And I think my, my feeling is if, if the Bengals uh, give up 35 or 40 sacks in 1,000 reps, 1,000 pass attempts, the other 950 or 960 passes, Andy Dalton is going to have a clean pocket. Can't mm-hmm. say that it's, it, it, uh, in the past few years. Andy Dalton's pocket has been his face so many times. Um, I, I just feel like he's the reason he had as good a training camp and as good a preseason as I've ever seen him have with a quarterback rating of 130 for the preseason is the pocket, you know, and gave him an opportunity to see because Andy's smart now. When you give him time to see the field, he knows where to go with the football, and he, and he knows where to go with it quickly. And same in the running game. I, you know, I think that, that, that they do need a little bit more work uh, in the running game, but I do think that it, it's part of it is, with Joe Mixon anyway, he's trying to hit a home run. He's trying to hit a grand slam every run instead of just taking the first crease and lowering those pads with that big, strong body and explosiveness and you know, five yards, four yards. Second and seven, even three yards is better than you know. Second and eleven or twelve with mm-hmm. with a tackle philosophy, because you're trying to make too much happen. So I think very quickly it's going to look a lot more aggressive uh, than it ever did the last couple of years. And I think play action passing as a result is going to look so much better. And I think there's going to be big, big chunk plays available uh, when linebackers actually have to respect the running game and take a, a step or two toward the line of scrimmage coming downhill before they realize, son of a gun, it's a play act. It's play action. I've got to get back, and now it's too late. It's over your head between where you were supposed to be in the safety. So I think there's going to be bigger holes for play action passing for sure. You mentioned the passing game, and I, I think and Dave Lapham's with us here on ESPN 1530. The, the passing game is certainly younger than it's been 
in quite some time. But but how do you feel uh, and what have you seen from a John Ross, from a Tyler Boyd, from a Josh Malone? Because let's be honest here. Tyler Boyd was a healthy scratch last year. John Ross played 17 snaps and Josh Malone was in there, but ineffective towards the end of the season. And it seems like all three guys have taken a step forward. What, what have you seen from them both good and bad this preseason? Yeah. I mean, I agree with you. I I think, I think Josh Malone has got a, uh, a size speed ratio uh, in his favor that that's, that's tough to deal with. I, I think he's, I think he's got some talent. Um, you know, there's, there's no doubt that Tyler Boyd had a, had a year last year where, you know, he had some off field issues, a little controversy there. I think it affected him, got him in doghouse a little bit. I, I don't think his mind was right. Right. And when your mind's not right, your body, you know, isn't going to follow suit. It'll follow that same course. You know, it, it won't be right. So he had too many things in his mind. He had too many distractions, but I think he's picking up right where he left off last year with that big play to knock Baltimore out of the playoffs and, Andy Dalton's feeling like um, he's got a lot of trust in Tyler Boyd as a slot receiver and, and an outside receiver as well. John Ross can can stretch the field like few others. I mean, the guy's a blur. You know, he can beat anybody deep. Um, but, you know, you've seen the catch inconsistency. I did think last night um, when he dropped that ball, he did get pulled. His right arm got pulled a little bit. The official wasn't in great position, didn't see the DB, you know, yank at his arm. You thought he just pulled at his waist, and it wasn't that significant. Uh, but even with that said, you get two hands on the football, you got to catch it. John Ross will tell you, I, I got to catch that football. So uh, if he starts, you know, making catches on those deep balls with a higher percentage, and it doesn't even have to be an over the top, you know, forty yard ball, fifty yard ball over the top. It's simple slant. He gets inside position. He splits the corner and the safety with a clean catch on the move. See ya. Yeah. You know, he, he hits the seam. <laughs> He can abuse him uh, as well or better than anybody. So I just think that uh, defensive coordinators hate one-play drives. A.J. Green's capable of getting over your, over your head, over the top for one-play drive. John Ross is. You know, and then that just really opens up the middle of the football field um, for other receivers like Tyler Eifert, like Tyler Boyd, and uh, you know everybody we're talking about. And then not, to, not to mention the backside of the backfield. You know, working in the middle of the field. Not to mention the running game. Yeah. You know, it does, they, they're not loading the box up when you have John Ross and AJ Green and Tyler Eifert. And, you know, Tyler, you, you can run the football. You know, when they when they spread them out and they you can attack every quadrant of the football field, deep, intermediate, short. I mean, they have to cover every square inch of the football field. They can't load that box up. Gives you more running lanes. Joe Mixon and Giovanni Bernard should be able to eat. So theoretically, you know, if the offensive line gets uh, gets it together and just um, you know my whole feeling is if they can play just medium you know a- average level just midpoint in the, of National Football League offensive lines they don't have to be top five but if they can get to like 15 15 16 even you know right at that midpoint man they could be a spoonful because they got a lot of weapons man and I think uh, Bill Lazor with the tempo and the different personnel groupings and the window dressing and formations and I, I think that they can be, you know, tough for defensive coordinators to prepare their defenses for on a weekly basis, for sure. Last question for Dave Lapham. Dave, thanks for uh, taking so much uh, time out of your day to join us here. As far as the the running back position goes, Mark Walton was drafted in the fourth round. Yeah. And I think it's it's fairly obvious that he's been the fifth most productive back out of the five. I, Brian Hill, Trey Carson have been better. Uh, what are your thoughts on that running back room, and, and how do you think it's going to shake out? Because 
they, they invested a, a pretty high pick in Mark Walton, and, and I think he's been underwhelming. I think that's safe to say. Yeah, I, I think that they feel like um, they, last night was probably his best performance, and they feel like they you know we need to get him untracked a little bit. And I, I think that Brian Hill and Trey Carson honestly have more NFL experience. Um, it, it's that simple. And I think that the fact that they feel like he's, he projects so well uh, in special teams play for Darren Simmons, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Cedric Pierman was a Pro Bowl at the running back position, which is a rarity in the National Football League. You don't see backup running backs being Pro Bowl caliber special teams players. You see you know, receivers like Slater, it can happen. You see defensive backs, you see linebackers, you see those kind of guys. Uh, I, th- I think they feel like Mark Walton um, can be that kind of player for them. I think they think that he can give them uh, the Giovanni, uh, Giovanni Bernard stuff. He's built more like Giovanni Bernard. I don't think he has the shake and the wiggle that Giovanni does. But when you look at it, how many snaps will that third or fourth running back get? And I don't think they'll activate uh, four on game day. They'll only have three. So that third running back better be able to do something in terms of special teams. And then if one of your first two guys does get nicked up, can he do something, you know, uh, with backfield snaps? So I think that's why Mark Walton will probably get the, get, get the shot. But I agree with you. There's no question in my mind that performance, you don't even have to look. The numbers will tell you looking at the stat sheet. But if you watch the tape, um, Brian Hill, it just, you know, it's night and day. The, the deal is Brian Hill was playing against JVs. And unfortunately for Brian Hill, he never got a chance to play against the varsity and show what he could do against the varsity because of the numbers game. So, you know, he, he definitely got caught in a numbers game. There's no question about it. And a team that is not as deep at running back as the Cincinnati Bengals are, Brian Hill is going to be on that practice squad, worst case scenario, and then maybe get a chance just like he did when the Bengals plucked him off Atlanta's practice squad when he uh, made it as a rookie and has been in Cincinnati ever since. Lap, uh, the Oregon football team, the Clemson football team, and now the Wisconsin football team has installed napping pods in their locker room. Did you have those back when you played? <laughs> a napping pod. I got to get one of those for my grandkids. That's a napping pod. Can you believe that? How about that? What is that? <laughs> A napping pod. Does it vibrate or anything? I don't know. I've, I I well, need to read up cool. more on it. Yeah, it looks like it. It literally is a, a pod and, and kind of like a recliner where you lay out and you can you can nap. Man, pretty good. <laughs> I mean, hey, a napping pod and a case of beer. You know, now you're set. There you, you go. <laughs> That's right. I get a get a little like 13 inch projection TV <laughs> on the inside. You'd be perfect. <laughs> That's all hunt all day every day. Yes, sir. I appreciate it, Dave. Have a good weekend, man. Hi, James. Have a good holiday weekend yourself, my man. Good stuff there from Dave Lapham. Like I said, he joined me earlier today on ESPN 1530. And anytime I talk to Dave Lapham, you're going to hear it here on the Locked on Bengals podcast because he's Lap. He's the legend. And his voice uh, deserves to be heard if you're a Bengals fan. I'm James Erpain. Thank you so much for listening today. Um, and we will recap everything on Monday's podcast, who gets cut, who they move on from, who they keep, etc., I'll also be tweeting at James Rapine at Locked on Bengals, and I'm sure I'll be writing at LockedOnBengals.com. Have a great weekend, and until Monday, I'm James Rapine. Thank you so much for listening today on the Locked on Bengals podcast.